And we have been in a sermon series called All My Questions. We have been walking through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. And if you've been around New Life for any length of time, then you know that we just like to walk through books of the Bible together and study it together. And we have been doing that through the Gospel of Matthew. And now that we've been in this series of the Sermon on the Mount, we finished last week the sermon. And as I was just praying about how we walk through these books, I feel like God was leading me for today, and probably will do this with each individual series within the book of Matthew, is once we finish a series, we're going to look back to an Old Testament, uh, an Old Testament narrative, an Old Testament story, an Old Testament book, and we're going to see how the truth of the gospel that we've been studying in Matthew 5 through 7 for the last six weeks, how it played out in the Old Testament, and we're going to see how this played out in the lives of real everyday people. So, with Matthew 5 through 7, what we have been seeing together as a church, as a church is that Jesus is really uh, just highlighting all competing messiahs. Everything that people would try to put their faith in and their trust in that they would hold on to, whether it was just their religious deeds or their own good works or money or any any lesser thing, Jesus is showing that makes for a terrible Messiah. And Jesus is showing them that their hope can only be in him. And in Genesis 29, we're going to look at a lady named Leah who looks for hope and security and peace in all the wrong places until finally at the, at the end of the chapter, she finally finds where her hope should be. So I'm looking forward to studying this together with you. How many of you believe in love at first sight? Would you just raise your hand if you believe in love at first sight? Would you just go and hold, hold it up? Hold it up high. Don't be embarrassed. Hold it up good and high. All right, I think we got uh, maybe like 50, maybe like 20% of the people in the room. How many of you said, I definitely do not believe in love at first sight? Let me see you. How many of you said, I got burned by love at first sight? Maybe there's a couple. All right, there we go. Now I'm getting a response. Well, I don't know if I believe in love at first sight, but I do remember the first time that I saw Adriana. Uh, actually, so I told the story before, and you know what? You're just going to have to get used to it. I like telling it, so I'm going to tell it again. Uh, but I remember I met Adriana. Like, we actually had a conversation. I met her in a class, and I'll tell you about that again just because I want to. Uh, so in October of 2012. But I actually remember the month before actually seeing her uh, that I remember really for the first time where I really noticed her. Uh, it was beginning of September, and every single year at school, we would always start the year by going to a baseball activity. So I think we went to go watch that year. They would always switch between the Dodgers and the Angels. And this year, I think we went to go see the Angels. We hopped in a bus. We were getting ready to ride to the game. Like I think it was an hour and a half or two hours away from college campus to the stadium, and on the way, the bus broke down. The bus broke down, I'm sitting up at the front, and then we're all, we're dying, it's hot out, it's September out in California. I look back and I just remember seeing Adriana and some of her friends in the back. And I was confident that Adriana was staring at me. Uh, she doesn't remember that, she doesn't remember that, but I'm just, I'm just sure, I just know that she, she was looking at me. But I remember she was with those friends, and uh, I just remember noticing her throughout the day. We were there on that bus for a lot longer than two hours. And then, a couple of months later, I took a class where a visiting professor came into town for one week. He was teaching class at night from 9 o'clock at night until 11 o'clock at night. 
uh, in God's grace and mercy, I sat on the third row with my friend Josh Johnson. Thank you, Josh. And then I just remember the teacher, he told this joke, and my now my wife, she laughed at the joke, and when she smiled, and when she laughed at the corny joke by the visiting professor, I was hooked. I was hooked. I was like, I have to get to know this girl. Uh, so I started trying to crack my own jokes in the class to get her attention a little bit, and uh, well, the rest is history. I guess the jokes were okay. No, you guys know better. If you listen to me preach and you hear my jokes, uh, then you know that it wasn't because of my jokes that I won Adriana over. I think that Jacob, in Genesis 29, he believed in love at first sight. In Genesis 29, he meets a girl named Rachel, and when he sees her, he immediately falls in love with her. Let's go ahead and begin reading Genesis 29 and verse number one. It says, Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. And he looked and beheld a well in the field, and lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered, and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and watered the sheep, and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in his place. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? Who are you? And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said unto them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel his daughter cometh with the sheep. And he said, Lo, it is yet high day, neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together, water the sheep, and go and feed them. They said, We cannot, until all the flocks be gathered together, until they roll the stone from the well's mouth, then we water the sheep. And while he had spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Catch this. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. How's that for a first meeting? He sees her. He gives her a kiss. He hugs her and he cries. Now, you single guys, let me just say, this is not the way. This, this, if you're wanting a girl, this ain't it. How's that for, you know, a pickup move? He kissed her and he wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. So he goes up to her and he says, hey, guess what? We're family. I'm in love. Now, that may strike you as a little weird. It doesn't strike me as weird, but that's because I grew up in Arkansas. No, I'm just joking. That was, that was a joke. See, now I've exposed you. It's one of my terrible jokes. Uh, so, but in this cultural moment, that meant that, hey, I'm single and I'm ready to mingle. Uh, so he says, hey, we are family. So she goes and she finds Laban. In verse number 13, and it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with him the space of a month. Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, your family, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Notice verse 17, it says, Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. 
Now, when you read that word tender eye, that's not the way that we really describe people, but it has nothing to do with her eyesight. It has everything to do with the way that people looked at her. Here's what it said. It's not saying Rachel was beautiful, but Leah had bad eyesight. No, it's saying Rachel was beautiful, but Leah, yeah. And you know, I just couldn't help but kind of laugh whenever I read this because you know, if the Bible's saying, hey, she was struggling, you know, that's, yeah, I don't know what to think. We'll move on. But that, that's, that was how Rachel and Leah were perceived. Rachel was beautiful. Leah was not, was not beautiful. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, the younger daughter. And Laban, Laban said, it is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah his maid for an handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this thou hast done to me? Did not I serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then thou hast beguiled me? Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee also, give this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven more years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Bilhah, Gave to Rachel his daughter, Bilhah his handmaid, to be her maid. And he went in unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. And these last four verses, these last few verses is really where we're going to focus. It says, And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. And she conceived again, and bare a son, and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And she conceived again, and bare a son, and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. And she conceived again, and bare a son. And she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. When Genesis 29 starts, Jacob is on the run for his life. If you're not familiar with who Jacob is, Jacob is he's an important figure as far as the whole Bible is concerned. His, his name is going to be changed later to Israel. He's going to have 12 sons, and those 12 sons are going to turn into 12 tribes. And really, the whole storyline of the Bible centers around this one family. Genesis 29.1, Jacob is really on the run for his life. Just a chapter before, Jacob had gone to his father's tent, and he had deceived and he had tricked his father. You see, in those days, the custom in those days is that every dad, before he would die, he would bless and he would give a birthright or a special inheritance and a blessing to his oldest son. 
Jacob is not the oldest son. He has an older brother named Esau. So Isaac is getting ready to die, and he's going to bestow this inheritance and this blessing and uh, this favor on Esau. But Jacob gets this idea, and he gets this idea from his mom, actually, because Jacob was his mom's favorite. It's a messed up family. Uh, that, hey, you know what? Isaac is blind. Dad is blind. So why don't you just disguise yourself to seem like Esau? So why don't we just, Esau's hairy, and you're not hairy. So let's go get some, some goat hair, and let's put that on your arms, and let's put that on your neck. And then you can go into, you can go into Isaac's tent and trick him. Now, I just got to know that Esau must have been a really hairy guy. If they were getting like goat hair and putting it all over him, that actually worked to trick Isaac. But it does. It does. Jacob goes into Isaac's tent and he deceives his dad. And that's actually what his name means. His name means trickster, deceiver, supplanter. That's what Jacob's name actually means. And he certainly lived up to it. So he goes to Isaac's tent. He convinces his dad that he's Esau. And then Isaac gives him all of the things that belonged to He gives everything to Jacob that belonged to Esau. He gave him the inheritance. He gave him the blessing. He gave him the birthright. All of those things he gives to Jacob instead of to Esau. Now, how many of you know that Esau probably wasn't very happy about it when he heard? Uh, Isaac was getting ready to die, so Esau makes this commitment. He says, I'm going to wait until dad dies. But once dad dies, I'm going to take my mourning period, which was typically about 30 days. I'm going to take my mourning period, and afterwards, I'm going to kill Jacob. So Jacob is on the run. He's on the run. Uh, his mother, Rebecca, says, Jacob, go out east. You're going to find some of my family. That's, you just settle in with Laban, and you settle in with the family, and you get married out there, and you have a great life, and you have this blessing. I love you. Now get out of here. So Jacob runs away, and in Genesis 29, he finally makes it to Laban's, uh, to Laban's family. He gets there, and like we read in the text, he shows up and he finds uh, all of the shepherds. They're working, and he meets Rachel, and then he just does what he does. He kisses her, he hugs her, he cries, and then he goes to his dad. Uh, he goes to her dad, rather. He goes to her dad, and he says, listen, uh, I'm, I'm Rebecca's son. And Laban says, hey, you know what? Your family, why don't you hang out with me? And Laban recognizes that Jacob's just got a little something special to him. So he says to Jacob, he says, hey, why don't you work for me? And we're family, so I don't want to take advantage of you. So how, what do you think are fair wages? Now, Jacob says to him, you know what? How about I just work for you, and you let me marry your daughter? So cultural moment, this is in the day of dowries and those kinds of things. So he says, hey, my, my payment is, hey, I work for you for seven years, and you give me Rachel to be my wife. So Laban says, great, seven years. You work for me seven years, and at the end of the seven years, then you can get married. Now, my, my brother and my sister-in-law, they dated for four years, and that was like eternity for them. I can't imagine seven years of waiting to get married, but that's what they did. And it says that Jacob loved Rachel in such a way that it seemed for him like it was a day. So he goes out to work one day. I just imagine him going out and he's working hard and he comes back into the tent and he just marks down 2,550 days until I get to marry Rachel. And the next day, 2,549 days. And he's got that countdown going. And then, hey, 2,000 more days. And then 1,500 more days. And then, hey, 1,000 more days. And then 500 more days. And then 365 days. One more, one more year until I can get married. And then 100 days. And then you've got the double-digit count 
countdown, and then 90 days, hey, only three, three more months, and then 60 days, and 30 days, and then the week of. I just imagine, can you imagine how excited Jacob must have been with six years, 11 months, and 51 weeks until and waiting to get married? And then it's time for the wedding ceremony. Everyone gets together. They, they, they get ready for the celebration. They get ready for the ceremony. And I don't know how he dressed for the wedding, but I, I imagine that he put on a really nice robe. And I certainly hope it was more comfortable. I went to a wedding a couple of weeks ago. I was in the wedding party. And uh, I got really, all of the pants for all of the groomsmen ran really, really tight. Like everyone, they ran very tight. Um, I looked, I looked, well, not only did they run tight for everyone, but I accidentally ordered uh, a size two inches too small. So not only did they run tight for everyone, they, I ordered two inches smaller than I meant to for myself. So I'm walking around at the wedding like a penguin. Uh, it, was, it was bad. It was fierce. It was terrible. And I just, I hope that Jacob got, had something that was a little bit more comfortable uh, for his wedding. So he puts on the robe, and, uh, and then the, here comes the bride. In those days, whenever the bride would come down, she wore a really thick veil, and she had her wedding dress. And Jacob's thinking, man, my Rachel, she's so beautiful. I just can't wait to see her face. And they have the big feast and the big ceremony, and they eat this big meal together. And then they go into the tent. And the Bible says that he took her to his tent for their wedding night. And he's very excited. And then the next morning, he wakes up, he rolls over, and the Bible tells us what happens. The Bible says he looks over, and behold... I love the wording of that. Behold, it was Leah. Now remember, Rachel's beautiful. Rachel's well-favored. Rachel's the one that Jacob wants. He's worked for her for seven years. He's had the countdown. It seemed like a day. He's ready for the wedding. And then the next morning he wakes up and he finds out that he's married to her sister. That's terrible. My, my brother married my wife's sister. We're two brothers who married two sisters. I love my sister-in-law, Erin. And I'm not just saying that because my in-laws are here. I really love her. I don't want to be married to her. And yet here he is. He rolls over and he sees that he is married to the woman that he thought was going to be her sister-in-law. I just, anyways, I'll leave that. I'll leave that alone. But he, he leaves the tent. And he goes to his father-in-law, Laban, and he says, Hey, you, you deceived me. You, you tricked me. You supplanted me. And just remember that that's why he's where he's at is because he's a deceiver, he's a trickster, he's a supplanter. Let's just pause for a moment to recognize and to remember that, hey, whenever it comes to sin, sin has a way to come back and bite us. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. There's just something about sin that when we break God's law, it ends up coming back and breaking us. And that's exactly what happens to Jacob. Jacob is a trickster and a deceiver, and now he is being deceived and he is being tricked and he's married to Leah. He's very upset. He talks to Laban. He says, hey, Uncle Dad, we've got a problem here. You guys missed. Sorry. That was just another one. Uh, hey, listen, we've got a problem here. I was supposed to have Rachel. And Laban says, hey, well, in our culture, in this place, it's, it's a shame for the, like, we don't marry off the older sister before the younger one. And so, sorry, you get Leah too. But guess what? If you'll agree to work seven more years, then I'll give you Rachel next week. So you take Leah on her honeymoon, you, you, you enjoy this week, and then you come back, and I'll, we'll have another wedding. So that's what he does. Now, let's just stop for a moment. 
That's not God's design for relationships. That's not God's design for marriage. The Bible says that uh, the Bible says that God's design for marriage is a man and a wife for a life. That's God's plan. And, uh, but he said, but that's what happens here in this text. He says, "Hey, next week you can marry Rachel." So Jacob and Rachel get married the next week. Now, can you just imagine being Leah for a moment? Really, that's where we're going to lean into this story. Can you imagine being Leah? For all of Leah's life, Leah has been compared to her younger sister, Rachel. Everywhere that they go, they, they walk into a room, they walk into a get-together, and everyone talks about how beautiful Rachel is, and then they look over at Leah and they say, well, she's a nice girl. Hey, Rachel, Rachel is the one that everyone wants to be around, and Leah's just kind of the tag-along as the older sister. I can't imagine how difficult and how painful that must have been for Leah. Over the seven years, Leah has gotten to know Jacob. And, and from everything that we see in the scripture, Leah actually loves Jacob. She does. Like more than anything, she longs for Jacob to simply love her. That's what Leah wants. And, and then finally, she, she, finally, she gets married to Jacob. And we don't know how that played out. We don't know if she was in on the trick, if she was in on the scheme, or somehow, someway, she actually thought that Jacob wanted her. But she actually walks down the aisle to her husband. And her hopes that we'll see in just a moment is that she would be loved by Jacob. And then she wakes up the next morning to her husband, only to find out that he is angry and he's furious as he storms out of the tent. Her greatest desire is to be loved, and what she's finding is, no, that's not, that's not what she's getting. For all of her life, she has been compared to Leah. For all, of her for all of her life, she's been compared to Rachel, and then now, finally, she's married, and then one week later, Rachel is brought back into her life in a way that is a competition. Then it tells us, so that is the setting of where we want to focus. In Genesis 29, 31, after all of this happens, in verse 30, it says, And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. In verse 31, it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was here. Here's what verse 31 is telling us. Verse 31 is, tells us that God sees that, that Leah isn't loved like Rachel is loved. Leah, Leah is held in, in disesteem, and that's, that's how Leah is viewed. And the Bible says that God had compassion on Leah. God noticed Leah, so he, the Bible says that he opens her womb. Now, that may not mean, like, I know that a lot of people, they, they want to have children, but it took on extra significance in these days. In these days, remember over the course of our series, we talked about honor and shame and how the greatest thing in your life was to get more honor. Well, the way that you got honor in these days was to have children. For a woman, she got more honor. The more children she had, the more honor that she had. So God sees that Leah is despised. So it says that he opens her womb. And for a season, for a season, he doesn't allow Rachel to get pregnant. Now, uh, I heard one preacher talk about this, and he said that, hey, this was an act of grace on God's part. Because if, if Jacob could just be with Rachel, he wouldn't have had anything to do with Leah. But he wants to have children, so he goes to his other wife, Leah, and, and, and she is fruitful, and they have children together. They have four kids together right here off the bat at the end of Genesis 29. So as they have kids, this is, uh, this is a thing that gets her honor. This is a thing that uh, is exciting for her. This is something that is wonderful to her, and it tells us 
in verses 31 through 35, it tells us what she names each of those kids. Now, for, for you and for me, whenever it comes to, like, my kids, I have three kids. We named Julianne, Brooklyn, and Witten. Uh, those are our three. And then our fourth that's coming in November, we're going to name that baby something. Um, so, but when we named our kids, like, this was the criteria. This was the criteria. Um, we didn't want something, Adriana did not want something, a name that was super popular. So it was like, if it's in the top ten, if it's in the top ten, we're not having, we're not naming our kid that. Uh, she wanted it to be a unique name, and then we're Cowboys fans, so we wanted to name, we wanted to name a lot of our kids uh, names that kind of mention that a little bit. So Witten is named after a football player, uh, and then we also both grew up, we both also grew up listening to this uh, radio show that just meant a lot to us that we both grew up as fans of. So then we kind of used some of those names as inspiration. So that's how we named our kids. It's nothing like big and significant. It's just like, hey, we want it to be unique. Uh, we want it to be unique, and uh, that was pretty much the criteria. But in these days, people would name their kids either according to characteristics that they saw in them or expected from them. They would name them things about what they were going through in their own lives. They would name them according to their greatest longings. And that's what Leah does with these four children. She names these four sons. And all of them, the name, the meaning of their names is a reflection of the deepest desires of her heart. And I want you to notice, because as we look through these names, we see a shift in Leah's heart. We see a shift in Leah's soul of where she is looking for peace, of where she is looking for satisfaction, of where she is looking for hope, of where she is looking for fulfillment. And we're going to see the progression of all through this, through that. I also want to just take a moment and let's like I, we just need to thank God, thank the Lord that here in this text, he looks at the woman who is considered ugly, at the woman who is considered, uh, at the woman who is considered less than, at the woman who is considered not loved, and God loves her enough that he says, I'm going to work in your life. He loves this woman. He loves Leah enough that he says, hey, for a season, I'm going to shut Rachel's womb so that Rachel cannot have children, so that you can have children. I love you that much, even though that people don't, people don't like you and people think that you're ugly and people think that you're less than. I love you so much that I'm still going to work in your life. And that is the wonderful grace of our God. Because here's what I want you to see in through this text is that if you and I or anyone in this text, in this passage, some of you might be sitting there thinking, ooh, I'm like, I'm Rachel, I'm beautiful, I'm amazing, all those kinds of things. No, the truth of the matter is, is that you and I are a lot more like Leah than we would ever care to admit. You and I are broken people in need of the rescuing grace of God. Whenever it comes to the glory of God, we all fall short. And yet God in his love and his mercy, he says, even though compared to my glory, you are ugly. Even though compared to my righteousness, your righteousness is like filthy rags. Even though according to my greatness, you are nothing. I still love you and I still pursue you. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God showed his great love is that while we were sinners, while we were ugly, while we were broken, while we were sinful, God still delighted in us and loved us. Just like he's delighting in and loving Rachel loving and delighting in Leah and coming alongside of her. That's what he does for you and for me. So Paul says, I will rejoice in my infirmities. I will rejoice in my weakness because whenever God's grace is working through me, that's when I'm strong. That's what God delights in. 
So we see how her, her longings shift through and her identity shifts through this text. So let's look at these four babies that she has and see how her, what, her, what she's looking for in identity and how it shifts. So verse number 31, it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Here's what she says. I, I had this son. I had, I, had, I had this baby boy. Now God has seen that I was hated. God saw that I'm not the favorite. So he gave me this son. So, so now the greatest longing of my heart will be fulfilled. Now my husband will love me. And here's the greatest core longing of her heart. Here is where her identity rests. It's identity in you. It's identity in a person. For her, it's identity in Jacob. And how often is it that you and I, we look for our core identity, we look for our, uh, for our core sense of peace and fulfillment in a human person? You know, whenever it, comes to, whenever it comes to my marriage, whenever it comes to my relationship with Adriana, we always end up getting into trouble whenever I place on her expectations to do for me what only God can do for me. Whenever I look at her and I expect her to be God, whenever I expect her to be perfect, whenever I expect her not to offend me, whenever I expect her to just make my, make my life what I want it to be, whenever I have those expectations from her, we always run into problems. When she has those expectations from me, she always ends up disappointed because that's what people do. People cannot be God in your life. If you look to people, if you look to them to give you your sense of peace, to give you your sense of worth, to give you your sense of value, then you will always end up disappointed because people can't give you that. You're not valuable because someone says you're valuable. You're valuable and you're, you're, you're worthwhile because God says that, because you are made in the image of God, because God loves you and God cares for you. So when we look for our identity, when we look for acceptance in someone else, we always end up disappointed. And that's what happens to Leah in the text because we're going because a couple of chapters later we find out that hey she's had four kids Rachel has had none and then they're traveling and we find out what Jacob thinks about her they're traveling west and this is fast forwarding a little bit past the text that we're studying today but they're actually going west and then they get the news that Esau is making his way their way. Jacob's nervous. He hasn't seen Esau in a long time. So he says, hey, Esau's going to fulfill his promise to kill me. So he says, here's what I'm going to do. He gets, his, he gets his family. He gets everything that he has. And he gets them all lined up. And he says, this is how we're going to line up and how we're going to travel. And he starts putting them in order so that if Esau comes and starts killing people off, his, he and his favorites can run away. So he puts a bunch of his stuff in the front, and then, and then he puts some, some others, and then he puts Leah, and then he puts Rachel in the back with him. So that if Esau comes, and Esau's trying to kill people, that he and Rachel can escape together. And everyone else, sorry about you. And Leah's core longing at this point, she's saying, hey, God's seen this. He's given me this now. The greatest need that I have, the greatest longing that I have is that Jacob will love me. It just doesn't happen at this point. It just doesn't happen at this point. And whenever I look for my identity, whenever I look for my sense of value in someone else, I will always end up disappointed because they can't give me what the core longing of my soul is. 
But can I remind you this morning that it doesn't matter who you are, that God loves you and that he cares for you, just like he loved Leah in this text. I think of the woman at the well. We were talking about the woman at the well. This, this woman who in her town, which wasn't this like great God-fearing town, this woman at the well in John 4, she, she, she goes up in the heat of the day at noon when none of the other ladies are fetching water from the wells of Jacob, who actually dug some wells. She goes up, and she's just in hiding. And in the heat of the day, she, she goes up so she can avoid everyone, and Jesus it pursues her. Jesus calls her out. Jesus reveals himself to her. She's someone who wasn't loved. She's someone who wasn't cared for. She was someone who was despised, yet Jesus still loved and cared for her. I think of, the, I think of Rahab, the prostitute, in, jo- in the book of Joshua. God loved and God cared for her. So oftentimes we look to try to be worthy in the eyes of someone else when the only person whose opinion matters is God. Is right. God. So we see that here in this first, with this first son, she names him Reuben because the greatest longing of her heart is that her husband would love her. But then whenever she finds out that that isn't going to give her what she needs and that she's not going to get that from Jacob, then she moves on. And then in verse number 33, it says, she conceived again and bare a son and said, because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. So with the first son, we see that the core longing, where her, where her identity is coming from, where her sense of worth is coming from, is in the opinion of Jacob. But then with the second son, she has a second son, and she names him Simeon. And what his name means, and the, the reflection, the, the words that come out of her mouth is, hey, the Lord saw that I was still hated, so then he started giving me gifts. He started giving me this son to be like a consolation prize. Hey, he gave me Simeon because, hey, God gave me this. So, so now, now maybe that will satisfy the needs of my heart. And if the first principle is finding your identity in some other person, the second principle is identi- finding your identity in the gifts of God. It's finding your identity in gifts. And my friend, that doesn't work either. That, that is insufficient. And, and I know that I'm saying that, and that just sounds like a little, that sounds a little odd. Well, the gifts of God, they're good. The Bible says that that is true. The Bible says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, with with whom comes no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The Bible says that, hey, God gives good gifts. He tells the people that are wealthy in 1 Timothy 6, he says, hey, listen, God, if you're wealthy, God gave you that to enjoy. But don't trust in riches. Trust in God. Love God. But what happens in our lives so often is we take the gifts, we take the good gifts, the good things of God, and we elevate them to a status where we think, where we look to those things like we should only look to God. In other words, if I can say it this way, so many times in our lives we confuse the gift with the giver. We confuse the gift with the giver. And when when our hope is in what God gives me, then whenever I run into a place where God chooses to take away, Whenever God withholds the blessings that I think I deserve for a season, then I crumble and I fall. So many times this happens where where people say, hey, you know what? I, I've been faithful. I've been going to church. I've been doing, I've been doing good. Everything and like I've just been trying to be faithful. Why did I have to lose my job? Hey, I've been faithful. I, I, I've just been trying to love, I've been trying to love God. Why did I have to go through that hurtful relationship? 
And whenever our hopes are in the gifts, and then whenever the gifts aren't coming at the rate that we think that they should, then we walk away from God because we have confused the two. We've confused the two. This happened in the life of Job. In Job chapter 1, we find out that Job loses everything. Like in a, in a series of events, he just has employee after employee after employee walk into his presence. And one person said, hey, you just lost all of your sheep. You just lost all that livestock. And then someone else comes in, hey, you've lost all your cattle. And hey, you've lost all this. And then someone comes in, hey, you've lost all your family. You've lost everything that you own. And what happens after that? Job's wife goes to him and says, hey, why don't, if God takes this away from you, why don't you just curse God and die? Why don't you just, if, if God's going to take this stuff away from you, why don't you just curse him to his face? And so often that happens in people's lives because they confuse the gift with the giver. And where Job's response is, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a hard place to be whenever we can say, God, whether you bless me in the way that I think that you should or not, I'm still going to praise you. Amen. God, whenever you give me what I like, I'll praise you. But whenever you don't give me what I want, I'll still praise you. Amen. Whenever our identity is in gifts, it's a hard, that we, don't, we can't get to that place. We can't get to that place when our identity is in gifts. So we see that she, she moves on. From that, and then in verse number 34, it says, She conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time will my husband be joined into me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. So she has a third son, and when she names Levi, this is the cry out of her heart. Cry out of her heart number three is, Hey, look what I have produced. Look, now it's before, if you notice at first, it was, hey, God gave me this son. God gave me this son. Now it's, hey, look what I'm doing for Jacob. Look what I'm producing for Jacob. Look, I, I've had three sons for Jacob. Hey, now surely, surely he'll accept me now because look at all this that I am doing. And then it starts to shift because I'm not getting my identity. I'm not getting what I want from some person and I'm not getting it from my gifts. So now she says, hey, I'm just going to make it happen myself. I'm going to make it all happen myself. Hey, my identity is, hey, look what I have done. Maybe I'll get what I want now because, because I just worked harder. Because I just did more. And that is the attitude that she has in verse 34. She's, she's finding her identity and belongings of her heart simply in what she can produce herself. And in this setting, it's children. For you and for me, it can be lots of different things. It might be finding my identity in my work. Finding my identity in my job, finding my identity in my income, how much money I make. Can I tell you something? That those are weak things. Those are terrible things to find your identity and your source of peace in. Like we've been, we've been hammering this one for weeks and weeks and weeks that all of those things are good things. All those things are nice things. All those things are wonderful things. But all those things are shaky things that can be here today and be gone tomorrow. We can't find our identity in those things. So here in verse 34, she has a son. She names him Levi because she says, hey, look at all of that, all that I am producing. But that's a weak identity. And then in verse 35, in verse 35, we get to the end of this chapter. And she said, and it says, and she conceived again and bare a son. And she said, now will I praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Do you see the progression in the names of those children? And that expression of the longings of her heart? 
It's, hey, I'm, I'm longing for this person to love me. Hey, I'm longing. Uh, my identity is in these gifts. Hey, you know what? I'll just find my identity in what I can produce. And then finally she has another son and she goes, you know what? I don't understand it, but God is good. So I will praise him. And can I just say something for a moment that this, all of this, everything that I have described for the last half hour is really painful for Leah. None of us want to be Leah. I don't want to be in her shoes. But can I just say, if God brings us to a place where we find our identity in him, where we say, you know what, all these weaker things, all these weaker things can't hold me fast, but I know that my God can hold me fast, then all those things are blessings in disguise. Spurgeon said it this way, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Those, those waves, those storms of life that bring me closer to my God, where I, find, where I find that I can just simply rest in him, that he is enough, that he is good enough, that he can carry me, that he can hold me, that he can walk with, walk with me through every trial, where my identity is in him and him alone. That is a beautiful and that is a wonderful place to be because, hey, you know what? Jacob couldn't save her. Jacob couldn't save her soul. Jacob couldn't give her that peace and the gifts uh, of her life, the good things that she had in her life, those things could not give her peace and security and, and what she could do, those things couldn't give her peace and security, but when she turns her eyes to the God who loves her so much that when everyone else thought she was ugly, God thought that she was beautiful and he loved her so much that he came into her life and started working in her life, then she found that is enough. That is enough. Are you at that place this morning? Are you at that place where, where God is enough, where he is that good, where I'm not looking to friends and where I'm not looking to relationships and I'm not looking to my production to give me a sense of meaning, but I look to my God who loves me and cares for me unconditionally. There's no sin that I've committed that God doesn't know about and that he still didn't love me enough that he sent his son to the cross right. to die for me. That's how much God loves you. So if he loves me so much that he knows every sin I've ever committed and yet he loves me anyway, then I'm going to find my identity. I'm going to find my rest. I'm going to find my hope. I'm going to find my peace in the God who holds me fast. Amen. Who holds me fast. And it changes everything in Leah's life. And for you, when you get to the place where I'm not resting in my performance, but I'm resting in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for me and he rose again, that's a place where your soul can find eternal rest. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You don't know that your sins are forgiven, that your sins are covered, and that you're a part of God's family. Can I tell you today that Jesus loved you so much that while you were broken in sin, he still came for you, he still died for you, he rose for you, so that you could have a relationship with God. That's why Jesus came, because even though we were broken, he still loved you. So today, repent, turn from your sin, and turn and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ who gave himself for you. You. He was enough for Leah, and I promise you he'll be enough for you. We've been walking through Matthew 7, and I love, I read this last week, and this is kind of how we're tying together Leah's life and the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says at the end of Matthew 7, he says, he that hears these words, these sayings of mine, he says, the person who embraces what I'm teaching, who embraces me, he says, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the person who doesn't receive me, the person who doesn't embrace my words, the person who doesn't do them, he's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And of course, if you know anything about house building, you know 
that if you build your house on a strong foundation, the house usually does pretty well. Right. And when the house is on a poor foundation, it's going to fall apart. When we're building our lives on the gospel of Jesus, when our identity is found in him, then we stand firm. And it's not just an eternal life that we receive after we die. It's a secure and satisfying and meaningful life here on this earth as well. And that's how Leah lives, and she gets to this point. Now I want you to look at one more verse, and then we are going, and then we'll wrap up today. But if you have your Bible, go ahead and look at Genesis chapter number 50. Genesis chapter 50. I'm sorry, I lost my spot. I can't find it. It's in Genesis 50 somewhere, but my eyes aren't working with these lights. Genesis 50 is the end of Jacob's life. Rachel has died at this point. Leah has died at this point. He's given a final word to all of his sons. And this is what he says to them. And you'll just have to fact check me later. Here's what he says to them. He says, when I die, I want you to take my body and I want you to bury my body where I buried, where Abraham's buried, where Isaac's buried. And he says, it's the same place where I buried Leah. They said, I want you to bury me with Leah. Whenever I read that, I was, I kind of, like I looked at it again. Because, like, remember, he loved Rachel. I was just at a funeral this past week uh, on Wednesday. My aunt passed away and they already bought their they already bought their burial ground for like my aunt, she was buried there, and they already have the spot right next to it purchased where whenever my uncle passes away, he's gonna be buried next to her. Why? You're buried with the people that you love. So when Jacob is going to be buried, he says, Hey, I want you to bury me with Leah. Bury me with Leah. And it's amazing where how all of this plays out, how all of this shapes out. There's this shift in Leah's heart where she finds her identity in God. And then somewhere over the course of all of it, she gets all those other things that she always wanted. Jacob ends up loving her. Jacob ends up caring for her. They actually end up building a life together so that when he dies, he says, hey, I want you to bury me with Leah. And whenever it comes to the things of this life, whenever we hold on to the temporal, the temporal things of this life, a lot of times we squeeze onto them so tightly that they just that they slip out of our fingers. But whenever we are looking to God and we find our identity in God, that he takes care of everything else. Listen, the message today isn't, you know what, everybody's just going to hate you. Just embrace that you're going to have terrible relationships. No, the message today is find your identity in God. And God takes care of everything else. God takes care of everything else. Leah found her identity in him. And that's when God worked and God took care of her. That's the way that our God is. And that's where a secure identity is found. 
Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. And thank you that you even bring hard things into our lives to push us to you. Thank you that you allow difficult things in our lives so that we find that nothing else can satisfy the deepest needs of our hearts. Only you can. And Lord, I pray and ask that if there's any person today who has been looking for their sense of identity in any lesser thing, I pray that they would surrender that to you, and that they would rest in you, that they would embrace you, that they would trust in you, that they would live for you. And if there's any person today whose identity is not a child of God because they've not had their sins forgiven and they've never been born into God's family, Lord, I pray that today would be the day where they turn from their sin and they turn to the God who loved them so much that he died for them and rose again. If you would please keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment. I'm just going to ask a couple of questions. Church family, I just I want to pray for you, and maybe today you'd say, Pastor, as you were preaching, the Holy Spirit worked in my heart, and he showed me that I've been looking for identity in some place other than God. I've been giving a relationship, I've been giving my work, I've been given, I've been giving something, a position in my heart that is way too high. I've been looking to those things. That's had my heart. God hasn't had my heart. And while, while you were preaching, God showed me, hey, there is an area in my life that I have been looking to for my identity, and I want to give that to God today. Would you just raise your hand? We say, Pastor, there's a, there's a spot I've been looking to something to give me that sense of satisfaction. Thank you. I see those hands. I see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands. I'm going to pray for you, and I want you to pray for me. That's, that's a constant battle. That's a constant battle. Thank you. You can put those hands down. That's a constant battle in my heart, and it's a constant battle in your heart. All those things that want to creep into the space that only that only belongs to God. Maybe today you say, Pastor, you talked about having our sins forgiven, Jesus dying and rising from the dead, and I don't know that my sins are forgiven. I don't know that I have a relationship with God, but I would like to know more about that. I would like to know how I can know that my sins are forgiven and that Jesus is my Savior. Would you just slip up your hand? If you say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. I don't know that my sins are forgiven, but I would like to know more about that. Would you just raise your hand? I won't call you out. I won't embarrass you. I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're just going to have a time to respond, to respond to the Lord. So you take some time, you can take some time in your seat, you can come up uh, to the altar, you can turn around in your seat and make that an altar. If you'd like, to, if you'd like uh, you can come up to the front and I would love to pray with you. If there's something in your life that you need prayer for, um, if you don't know Christ, you can come forward and talk to me. I'd love to show you how you can know Jesus, and I would love to pray, for you, pray with you if you need that. So we're going to pray together, and then I'm going to give you some time to respond. Uh, to God as he works in your heart and some music will play quietly in the background. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you pursue us. Thank you that you love us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to cast off lesser things that would become God-like things in our heart and that we would find our identity and our worth 
in you who loved us and gave yourself for us. I pray that if there's any person here who does not know Christ as their Savior, that they would receive you as Savior, and I pray that you'd be with us. Those of us who are, are experiencing that daily battle of looking to other things for hope and finding our identity in other things, I pray that you'd help us to respond appropriately as you give us that ability. In Jesus' name, amen. Just take some time.